0: Listener Production. So there are 12 boxers who have been selected to represent Australia at the Paris Olympics this year. Tina Rahimi, she's one of them, and she's already made history without even stepping into the ring. The Sydney Sider is our first female Muslim boxer to make it to the Olympics. And Tina has a fascinating journey from a suburban makeup artist who took up boxing as a form of exercise and then very rapidly became a bronze medal winning boxer at last year's Commonwealth Games. She also entered the sport just at the time when the Boxing Association changed the rules to allow women who wear religious headwear to compete. And later in the show, we have The Weekend List and some cracker tips in there on what to watch, do and eat. And we always love your pointers and reviews. And I'm actually on the hunt for a new book. I'm after something funny, quirky, light. So please send me your recommendations. Hit us up on Instagram. But first, here is the history-making Tina Rahimi, who joined me from or took a break from training while in Canberra at the Australian Institute of Sport. Tina Rahimi, I can't wait to get to know you. So as the song from Sound of Music goes, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Tell me about your upbringing and where you grew up.
1: Uh, Well, I was born and raised here in Australia, in Sydney, at Westmead Hospital. Um, I grew up in Rydalmere, so it's just right next to Parramatta. Yeah, pretty much grew up with my father uh, since we were, I think I was maybe heading into year seven. So me and my three sisters grew up with my dad. Um, my mom wasn't in the picture um, back then. Yeah, but me and my sisters are, are all one year apart. So I'm the middle child, um, which is exciting. But yeah, that's just a little bit about myself. And were you encouraged to play sport? And I say that
0: as someone who came from a very conservative family. You know, I grew up in Western Sydney and my dad was super conservative, you know, telling me things like girls don't wear shorts and girls don't ride bikes um, using the, you know, the Arabic words, Abe, like rude yeah. or haram, you know, yeah. forbidden
1: <laughs> or sacred. Yeah. Did you grow up with those, that sort of messaging as well? Um, no, I actually grew up in a really like non-religious family um, as well. So dad wasn't religious at all. I'm actually the only one in my family that wears the hijab. Um, yeah, dad was just really, he was pretty kickback, I would say. Um, encouraged us to play sport because my dad was actually a wrestler. He was, yeah, oh, right. pretty much grew up wrestling his whole life. Um, even had a, a wrestling gym um, in Sydney in Leica. So um, he was really encouraging to, you know, for us to play sport and, and uh, stay fit. So he actually put my sisters into swimming, and I wasn't really a fan of swimming. So I wanted to do something different, and he put me into soccer. Um, so I was doing soccer. I didn't do it for for long. I um, only did it for like two two seasons, I think it was. Um, yeah, dad used to work overnight, so he used to do security. So he would, he would be really um, annoyed if I woke him up to take, take me to my soccer (laughs) lessons. So (laughs) yeah, it was quite funny, but um, yeah, I was really sporty and yeah, always loved playing sport. always, um, you know, participated in sport in school. And uh, yeah, so dad wasn't really too strict on that. He was always very encouraging for us to stay fit. And you became a
0: makeup artist or you still are a makeup artist.
1: Yeah, I took up makeup um, when I was, I think, 21, just I think a year before I started boxing, actually. um, I was always really into it. I loved um, taking care of myself. Like even before I wore the hijab, I I wore the the hijab when I was 18 years old. I was always like, you know, taking care of my hair, dyeing my hair different colors, um, doing my makeup, you know, all the dramatic eyeliner in my eyes. And yeah, I was, I was always really into it. And then I decided, you know, if I'm really into this and this is a hobby for myself, why don't I start this as a career as I was um, previously even doing my sister's makeup or my friend's makeup. Um, Yeah. So then I started doing that, but that's like something that I've stopped due to boxing. Um, Obviously when you're a makeup artist, you have um, commitments in the future and you can't really dedicate or commit to doing those um, appointments because, who knows what I have in in store with boxing. So, I had to completely give that up.
0: So, tell me about your introduction to boxing.
1: Well, I started boxing when I was 21 as well. So, it was in 2017 and it was pretty much just to get fit and um, try something new to, to help me lose a bit of weight. I was putting on a little bit of weight and I was going to the gym at the time, but I felt like the gym was, was really not doing it for me. Like it just became repetitive. I didn't have like a personal trainer and I wasn't too sure what to do. So I was like, why don't I just try something that's good for cardio and I can get encouraged to, you know, to go into each session and, 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 um, get fitter that way. So I, the girl that I was actually going to the gym with, um, I convinced her to come with me and then we both started from there. And I honestly have not looked back since.
0: So did you ever watch professional boxing
1: before? And if so, like, who did you? Who did you follow? Who are you a fan of? I never actually watched any professional boxing. Like the only person I knew was like the main boxers, which was Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali. And I was always a fan of Muhammad Ali just because how he was as a person and just how he represented himself and how much faith he had in God. So I was always a fan of Muhammad Ali, but I never really was into watching it. I remember back when I was in school, um, in high school, we used to watch WWE. (laughs) So that was something I I was into, not really into, but I was just... um, Every time I would see it on TV, I would just watch it. And, yeah, I knew, like, John Cena and The Undertaker. um, And I always thought it was real and it was so cool until I found (laughs) out it was fake. So I stopped watching it. But, yeah, pretty much never really a fan of boxing or was never really into it um, until I started. That's when I really became a fan and, and, and started um, really realising how how much of a, a smart sport it is. It's not just about, you know, hitting each other in the face. It's more about, you know, it's like a, it's like a chess game, which I really found interesting and um, which has kept me going, trying to figure it out every step of the way. So you go to a boxing class, you figure out you love it, and then what?
0: Because it seems like a very fast turn to becoming a professional boxer.
1: So um, – I remember just loving my my, my classes and I just – I actually started off doing women's-only classes and in those sessions I felt like um, I was getting the hang of everything quite quickly and um, I just felt like my technique was catching up and I was like, oh, why don't I just try like a a fighter's class? Let me see how that is. And that was a a mixed class with um, other fighters who've competed before – I started doing that and I started doing some sparring. So some physical contact and sparring the other, uh, other girls I had, um, I felt like I was really uh, strong. Like I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't Mm -hmm. afraid to go in to spar the other girls who had way more experience than me. And I just felt like I I had no fear. I felt it within me. If I got hit with a punch, I was ready to go again, ready to show them that, you know, your punch doesn't doesn't hurt me. I'm not afraid of your punch. So I would just keep coming forward. And um, after that, I remember I spoke to my coach at the time and I was like, oh my God, I would really like to have a fight. I think I went and we supported a group of our fighters at that time. We went to um, watch them fight. And after that, I was so motivated. I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. And I want to dedicate time to have my first fight. And then I think within three months after that, first fight night, I had my first fight. In, in total, I think I had only six months of um, training before I jumped in the ring.
0: So what was the response from the boxing community and also your local community when you pivoted into Olympic style boxing?
1: Well, the response was actually pretty positive. I remember um, because you don't see like a hijab wearing female, you know, do boxing. So um, I remember the response was really, it was actually quite shocking. Um, a lot of people would well, wouldn't think that I would I was a, a fighter, like go walking into um, the venue and then getting ready. I would have a lot of looks. Um, people would be looking at me and, and, and just, <laughs> I, I just remember getting a lot of looks and I would, I was really shy back then as well. I was like, Oh, why is everyone's looking at me like that I, as I'm preparing? Like they would watch me on the pads and you can just see them talking about me. And, um, you know, when it's rare to see someone who doesn't look like someone else doing something it people just, um, you know, you get a lot of stares, might not be negative stares, but you know, there's all eyes on you, people trying to see, oh, Mm -hmm. I wonder if she's actually any good. So I remember jumping in, I had my first fight and, um, I feel like there was a a bit of a shock from the crowd because I was just, um, going at it. (laughs) I would say, um, I, I think I dropped the girl two times in, in like the first round from from um, memory so I really I remember feeling really really strong and this is a girl that's the same weight as me so yeah I remember um, a lot of people came up to me and, and were like wow like that was a really good fight I think a lot of people did underestimate me but I was so happy to go out there and show them you know that I am strong and I'm willing to to fight and to prove that that I'm a good boxer and I will be a good boxer
0: and just to give a bit of context, um, which may go to some, in some way to explain the looks that you were getting, uh, in 2017, the year that you began boxing, apparel restrictions were placed on female Muslim boxers. It wasn't until 2019 that the International Boxing Association changed its rules to allow Muslim boxers to wear the hijab. So do you think that contributed to why there were sort of confused and curious glances?
1: Yeah, so when I started, well, I had my first fight in 2018. It was in February 2018 and we were competing in a different league of boxing. So this wasn't really to go for like any Commonwealth Games. This wasn't to go for um, the Olympics. So it was a different organization to what I'm competing in now. That was more for like if you wanted to turn professional, this is the kind of path that you take. Um, and at that time, they weren't really too strict. And I remember when I was going to compete for the Commonwealth Games trials and um, competing under the Olympic style boxing, there was some questions about my hijab. And I remember the president of like boxing New South Wales at a at a stage was like to me, "Oh, can you just send through photos of your hijab just so we can get that approved." Which I found a little bit odd because I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know any of the laws, or I didn't know anything about, mm. you know, my, my hijab. So I remember having my first like major competition under this new boxing league. It was like something called the Super Eight. So it was like competing against other states, and um, yeah, he was like, just take some few photos. I remember I had to take a few photos to know um, if that's approved and if I'm all- allowed to um, box in my hijab. But I remember there was no issues and. Yeah, I was able to compete and that would have been in 2019 when that law was approved.
0: And I'm fascinated by the pain and the injuries. Like what's the worst kind of injury you've you've sustained or how long can it take sometimes to recover after a fight?
1: Well, the most recent injury, well, I've had a, quite a few injuries, there's always injuries, there's minor injuries and there's major injuries, like I've sprained my ankle, um, I've, you know, they've hurt my elbows, my wrists, like there's always injuries, but my most recent one would have been this over here, as you can see, um, I yeah. was just, it was actually from sparring as well, it wasn't even from a fight, so yeah, I was sparring a girl from another gym and she wasn't wearing a headgear. Usually all boxers should be wearing headgear even during um, a sparring session. And I remember we both kind of uh, – my headgear was a little bit higher than usual and because she wasn't wearing hers, we kind of clashed heads. So her head went directly into oh. my head, which split my eyebrow open. I had to get six stitches, uh, oh. yeah, from there. And it was annoying because I was comp- supposed to be competing the week after in Italy. Like flights were already booked. We were leaving with the national team. And yeah, well, it, it's, it's quite funny because I actually did end up competing 10 days after my wow. stitches. Yeah. So I, I got approved from a doctor over there. Um, it was healing really, really fast. Got my stitches taken out after four days. Was feeling really good. Ended up competing, um, opened up again <laughs> in the fight. Oh. And I was, oh, you don't understand how upset I was. There's so much blood. Yeah. yeah with a brow bleed yeah I I was so dramatic like like if I can get you my coach right now to tell you how dramatic I was she would be explaining it to you and just laughing like it looked like Someone died in the family or something. That's how. That's how much I was crying from the pain (laughs) or the frustration that you couldn't fight. No, it, it was. It was no. It was just from the frustration because we were actually meant to be competing in Germany two weeks later. Like I could have just waited the extra two weeks, let that completely heal, and then have my proper competition in Germany. That was like the main competition. But I was so eager to fight. I was like, I need to fight. Like I haven't fought in a while, and you know, this is. I'm overseas. I'm in Italy. I need to fight. So I was like, so eager to fight. Um, but yeah, I was just crying because I'm like, Oh, now there's no chance that I'm fighting in Germany. And then we had our qualifiers, our Pacific game, Olympic qualifiers in six weeks. So I was thinking, Oh my God, what if I need to do stitches again? And I won't be able to fight at the qualifiers. And if it opens up at the qualifiers, I won't be going to the Olympics. It was so frustrating, but, um, yeah, we didn't get it uh, stitched up. We, we actually got it glued up the second time. So I was happy because I was like, no, I don't want stitches.
0: (laughs) Well, it must be handy being a makeup artist who's also a boxer because I imagine you've got all the makeup techniques to cover the bruises and whatever it is that lands on your face.
1: Yeah, well, I remember at the World Championships earlier this year, um, I fought, um, she was an Indian representative as well, so I fought her and um, she actually ended up beating me in that fight, (laughs) which was upsetting. But um, I had a massive bruise on my eye, like it was so noticeable and mm-hmm. if you saw me without makeup you would see it was a big black eye but if you when I covered up you could not see anything so it was it was so funny because um I would walk out and I'll just be so confident and then once I took my makeup off I'm like oh my god everyone's like how did you cover that so well I'm like you know the perks of being a makeup artist so <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good skill to have <laughs> You
0: had the opportunity to train with Jeff Mayweather, and that is the uncle of Floyd Mayweather, who's the professional um, American or well, former boxer and now boxer, boxing promoter. What was it like?
1: It was it was really good um, to go to America and have that experience in with you know the uncle of Floyd Mayweather and having to meet his dad as well, you know the senior so it was it was just incredible just to be there and get that experience in you know not many people can go to america and, and work with some of the best in the world so it was it was really nice um to be there and for him to compliment me telling me that i'm strong i think that's just like drilled into my head um knowing that i got a compliment from him as well so it was um yeah really early on in my career it was just a, an amazing experience to be there so, you
0: competed in last year's Commonwealth Games in the UK and you won bronze. So congratulations, and that was in the featherweight division of fifty seven kilograms. But the day before the fight, you discovered that the scales weren't in your favour. So what happened then?
1: Oh, so I was going really well with my weight cut. um, I felt like I was you know on top of it. um I was I think I only had like eight hundred grams or, No, I think it was like 500 grams to lose based on my scales. And I knew just not eating or having like a little light meal the day before the night before I would be sweet. Um, I, I don't know, something just happened. I was like, you know what, let me just test my scales. Let me just test my weight on someone else's scales. So I tested on my friend's scales and I was 1.8 over, um, the night before. Yeah. So, um, I was like, Oh my gosh. And this is the first, like, if you, if that happened to me today, that would kind of be like a normal scenario because I'm kind of used to cutting that much now. It's like, uh, I know the process and I've been through it before, but that was the first time that that happened to me. So, um, I remember I had to get one of my coaches, my female coaches, to sort of help me out because I was clueless and I was just really stressing out on what to do. And I made my bathroom a sauna pretty much. Um, I had no access to the sauna, the saunas were mixed. So um, it was men and female, and I didn't want to go into there yes. with clothes on so we made my bathroom a sauna we turn on the showers close off the doors the bottom of the doors with towels and uh, put my sweatsuit on um, had my coach coming in there doing pads with me so she was uh, me and her were just laughing like um, or like I can't believe I'm doing this so the plan was
0: to essentially sweat it out which I imagine is something that boxers do
1: Yeah. So that was the plan. Like, oh, well, there was no other way to do it. I remember actually um, before doing that, or I I, I completely forgot, um, I was suggested to do a bath. So it's when you sit in a a hot bath, you pretty much just start sweating it out. So you don't actually have to do any sort of exercise. You just sit in there at at a certain temperature and then you just start sweating out water weight. I remember doing that and it was the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. Like after that, I'm like, I'm never like, I think I'm traumatized from baths. Um, I remember jumping in and it was a little bit hot and um, I jumped out and I just felt incredibly dizzy. Like I was really, really dizzy. I jumped out and I had to like hold on to something and I sat on the floor. I felt like vomiting, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I weighed myself. I think I was only, I only lost like four 500 grams and I still needed a kilo to lose by the next morning. And this was, I think around 7, 8 PM. I was like, how am I going to lose this extra kilo? I'm not jumping in that bath again. That bath is that's going to kill me. Like, I don't, I don't want to experience mm. that again. Like I've never experienced this feeling. So, um, that's when we decided to use my shower as a sauna, um, and get my yes. coach to come in and help me out. I think I did like an hour in there. Then we did it again the next morning. at I think 4am. Um, I was up, I had to go, I had to do my prayers at that time anyway. So I was up, checked myself. I think I was like, Still like eight seven a eight, seven eight hundred grams over um had to do another a pad session, so I was in and out getting in and out of my sweatsuit as well, weighing myself consistently just to make the weight, so I just remember that being oh one of the first and horrible experiences that I've had but and you made yeah. the weight I made you the weight clearly yeah. made the weight you there's no there's no option like for me, it's like you're gonna make the weight like yeah
0: and it's impo- important to point out that obviously you felt really uncomfortable with the bath experience and then you were in the hands of a, a professional who supported you in this in in no way is something that you would recommend people try at home.
1: No, definitely not. like um, I feel like if you're not under professional guidance to specifically use a bath or if you've never done it before, I would not recommend doing it. like the easiest way for me to cut weight now. just put a sweatsuit on and and go out for a run or do a, a light session just to you know lose that extra kilo by sweating it out and but using a bath or using a sauna, I've just had terrible experiences from that and I would not do it again. <laughs> there are the Olympics this year, which is huge. How are you feeling? Oh, um, I'm feeling really good, actually. I'm, I'm actually feeling very, very good. Um, there is a lot of pressure. There is a lot of um, good competition. A lot of good people who have qualified. But I'm, I'm at the camp at, at the AIS here in Canberra, and we've got the former Olympic silver medalist here at my weight division. So I've getting I've been getting some sparring in with her, and then we've got another um, female who's one weight division heavier than me, but she's a two-time Olympian um, from Sweden. She's here for some training as well. So um, I sparred her yesterday and I did extremely well um, against her. She's had like 185 fights or something like that compared to someone like me who's had 36 fights and it was some good solid sparring. So I know that I'm at that level where I'm capable of meddling at the Olympics. So I'm feeling really good and, you know, there's six months to go and there's little you know, things that I can do to make myself become a better um, boxer. And I know that we can get there within the next six months. So I'm I'm feeling really good and confident.
0: And so you've already made history by being the first hijab-wearing Australian boxing at the Olympics. Do you feel that that's enough or is that not what a competitive spirit is? Like do you go there going, well, it's great that I'm here, I'm going to give it a good crack, or you go there with the mentality of I have to win?
1: it's good to have um you know to be inspiring the next generation and it's good to show people that anyone is capable of anything but you know at the end of the day I'm not doing this for anyone but myself as well like I know that I'm a role model now in the community um you know to a lot of Muslim women and not just Muslim women but women around the world showing them that you know anyone is capable but at the end of the day I've I've, I've started doing this for me and I'm going to be continuing to do this for myself as well. But obviously I just got to watch out um, what I do and I want to be a good influence um, to myself and to everyone else around me. Uh, But at the end of the day, my goal is to go there and to win a gold medal at the Olympics. And I'm going to try to do whatever it takes. You know, there's only six months to go and that's going to fly and I need to make sure that I do whatever it takes to be standing on that podium. And it's, um, mm. it would actually be a dream come true to be the, the first female to do it in history to win a medal. No actual boxing female has won a medal at the Olympics yet for Australia. So um, for me to do that would just be an unreal feeling. So I need to make sure I, I do that.
0: That's so exciting. I'll be watching, cheering you on, as I know a lot of other Australians will too.
1: Thank you. I can't wait to um, yeah, to be there and just to show everyone my skills and what I'm capable of and hopefully um, excited to be standing on the podium and winning a medal for Australia.
0: That was Tina Rahimi, who has an intense and really important six months ahead of her before she gets to the Olympic Games. So definitely watch that space. But it is now time for the weekend list. The wonderful Helen Smith, my producer extraordinaire, joins me. Helen, what have you got? Okay, my first recommendation this week is Love on the
2: Spectrum Season 2 on Netflix. Nice. I'm obsessed. I've loved Season 1. I've watched the US version. This is also based in the US, but it's made by an Australian documentary filmmaker.
0: Well, so people who haven't watched Mm -hmm. Series 1 or Season 1, tell us what it's about.
2: Okay, so the whole series is following young people living on the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. figuring out dating and their journeys on finding love which is just so beautiful because it's a universal kind of feeling mm. like wanting love relationships they're hard for everybody yes but i think this show does it in such a great educational interesting um way it it shines autism in a light that i don't think we really see that mm. much and this season 2 does the same thing it's the same format they're all searching for love but we yes. have a few new People in the picture, and my favourite favourite person is Tanner. Okay, he is just gorgeous. He is the happiest, most beautiful soul, and he says his mission is to spread joy to others.
0: And it sounds you, like he's doing it to you. Oh, he literally! I'm just like Tanner. I'm like, I want Tanner. I'm like, where is he up to? What's happening on these dates? Look, one of the things I often hear from my friends with disability is that when it comes to the portrayal of people who live with disability, Mm. it can often be stereotypical or like inspo porn. Mm -hmm. Does it strike the right balance between being informative and entertaining, but not being too exploitative?
2: I think it does because it does have people from all different aspects of the spectrum. I think there is sensationalism, there always will be because it is entertaining at the end Mm. of the day. But they do it in a way where they have people on the spectrum of all different aspects. They have people, um, same-sex relationships. They have um, stereotypical relationships like men and female. But I think they do do it in a way that's still educational but at the end of the day it is going to be entertaining because otherwise people wouldn't really get the hype or want to watch it as much but no I do I do think that's a really good thing to remember and stand out because sometimes I feel like shows that focus on people living with disabilities can steer in the wrong way yeah but the way that this show is made it does not give you that Mm. vibe it's a very genuine reality of people trying to find love living on the spectrum
0: Speaking of reality, but a massive departure from nuance and education, my recommendation is Dubai Bling. I love Dubai Bling. (laughs) It is so terrible and vacuous and capitalist and I'm here for it Mm -hmm. and I love it. I especially need things that are light escapism because my life mm-hmm. is pretty heavy yep. at the moment. <laughs> and what I also love is obviously I speak Arabic and I love hearing the Arabic language mm. in such a kind of kind of mainstream way. I mean the characters are pretty awful. Some of the characters are pretty awful. Um, I love to laugh at their very first world problems but also get to know them and see that, you know, sometimes you're a product of your environment and that environment might be warped and out of touch. Yes. But that there are universal struggles, people trying to figure out friendships and people trying to figure out, um, their relationships and businesses and trying to figure out which of the three cars their husband mm-hmm. bought them they'll, they'll drive first presents. yeah they'll, they'll, who, they'll who drive is first. your favorite
2: who is your favorite Xena yes I, I love her Xena's my favorite oh
0: the She's, drum I, yeah, yeah. yeah okay I love Xena um,
2: yeah I love Zena.
0: and I just think it's it's fabulously trashy and mm. just what I need It's perfect. I love that show. I I binged that real quick. And I wondered what it was like for someone who's a non-Arabic speaker. Obviously, they have the subtitles because they they oscillate between English and Arabic. And so I was like, I wonder how a non-Arabic speaker responds to that. got (laughs) to
2: admit, I was a bit confused (laughs) because they started speaking English. And then at one point, I didn't know that it was half in English, half in Arabic. And I kind of freaked out because I was like, hang on, what? Their mouths are not moving with the yeah. same words. And I was like, did I switch the settings? Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh no. I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. Like I was like, they're just speaking like Yeah, but to- you're still watching and you're still oh, interested. I still love it. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I think it just made it better because I was like, Oh
0: my God. Like- the one thing I've taken away from that is Every opening shot before an event, they do this massive, like, get out of the car, mm. flick your I hair. love that slow-mo. And slow-mo walk. And I'm mm. like, I'm going to try that the next time I walk into Coles. Like, yes. I want to do that walk. Yeah. And just see. I won't be walking out of my Porsche, but you know no, what? No, no, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be on foot, possibly just gotten off a scooter. Yeah. And I'll be I, jumping off the bus, tapping my Opal card, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> then I'm just going to do this one. Yeah. <laughs> and like walk in. And it'll be the same straight effect, to, straight I'm, to, sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm stra- sure. Straight to the milk. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else do you have this week?
2: Well, my second recommendation, it's Saturday the 27th now and yesterday was the 26th of January which is a very tricky day um for lots of first nations people around australia so
0: and also i'm going to add not only first nations mm. people a lot of other people oh, who yeah. are allies and who mm-hmm. see how much hurt and division that date has yeah. caused
2: yeah completely um So I wanted to recommend SBS On Demand. They have a really good section called Always Was, Always Will Be. It's full of educational documentaries. It's full of entertainment series, dramas, but it's just showcasing black excellence. Mm. And there are so many um, great shows and docos on there. And I just think, look, if you're wanting to kind of educate yourself a bit more, there's documentaries about musicians, about changemakers, about... um, land rights, about the history of First Nations people. And, yeah, I think, you know, if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed this weekend, check it out, look at some resources and, Mm. yeah, do that. And then the other good thing that I always like to do is there's a website called Pay the Rent and you can donate as little as much as you can and it's just a part of paying the rent to First Nations people.
0: So if you are inclined to do that... Mm that's another recommendation i give. Yeah, very good. And adding to that, I always think this is a good time of year to listen and mm. to learn. And mm. there are plenty, plenty of amazing Black voices. And I'm going to recommend a few to follow on Instagram. Teela Reed mm. is fantastic. Yeah. Also the host of listeners' podcast, Black Matters, Amy McGuire. You can follow her on either X or Instagram. She's an academic, an author, and an absolutely brilliant mind. Narelda Jacobs, who's a presenter at Network 10, is a, a dear friend of mine. And Antoinette Braybrook, not only does she have an excellent name, she also runs Jira, which is a service, um, a domestic violence service in Victoria. So you know, listen to amazing people in this space. Follow them. Try and open your mind and heart and just see where it takes you. Yeah. That is it for this week. Thank you so much for being with us and tuning in. It is always a pleasure hanging out with you. And if you want more of The Weekend Briefing, you can find us on the Listener app. You can download the Listener app in the App Store and you can follow us there. Otherwise, you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not give us a rating and a review for this fabulous interview with Tina Rahimi? And FYI, you can review and rate every episode. I also accept compliments any day of the week via the briefing Instagram. We can go to my page. We will be back on Monday morning where the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones, along with some interesting interviews. Stay safe, everyone.
1: Listener.